This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 686, flashback to Captain Marvel, Nothing to Lose. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 686. It's my flashback episode to Captain Marvel, Nothing to Lose. Uh, this will be a relatively short episode, but uh, I wanted to make sure we had an episode coming out this week, and uh, some other stuff fell through, so I was perusing my uh, comic book shelves like I often do, and I was like, hmm, what haven't I talked about recently? And I came across Captain Marvel. So uh, this particular trade I'm talking about is Captain Marvel, Nothing to Lose. Uh, this is collecting Captain Marvel Volume 4, numbers 1 to 6, uh, which were first printed in 2003. That was the year I turned 20 years old. Um, I did not, I don't believe I read these when they first came out. I remember reading about the You Decide event, which was a promotional event, uh, the early days of the Ultimate Line, and so there was going to be three different books that were kind of, um, challenging each other. I can't remember what they all were. I think one of them was, uh, Ultimate Adventures, and I think one of them was Marvel could be wrong on some of this, and one of them was Captain Marvel. Now, Captain Marvel had already been around for, what, two or three years at that point. I think I'd read one issue at the time um, as part of the Maximum uh, Security crossover. I think I bought all those crossovers. God, I don't know why. Um, And at some point, I I read um, Avengers Forever, so I kind of knew about Genesis. Janice Fell, uh, him, he was Captain Marvel, and again, I'd read that issue. Uh, but it wasn't until maybe a couple years later that I, I heard about Captain Marvel uh, as part of the You Decide route, or sorry, um, promotion, and decided that I would give it a shot. I remember picking up the trade paperback, probably was in the, I want to say summer of 2004, probably, or it might have even been 2003, depending on when it was first printed. And uh, I've, I've loved this trade since I bought it. Um, i trying to think. You know, I, actually, I think I did buy this trade in 2003. I think the trade is from 2003. I don't necessarily think the issues are. Um, I I had not known much about the character. I hadn't really followed. Again, it had already been around for like three years when they restarted it. And it's interesting, interesting to go back now, which I have recently done. I, I bought, um, I think, the all every issue of Captain Marvel Volume 3 and 4 digitally just so I could kind of reread them and enjoy them because they're not that easy to find. I mean, they didn't really go to any real effort to collect them in a, any real coherent manner. Once they were out of print, they were kind of gone. And I don't even think you could get most of the original, uh, the Volume 3s. Volume 4, at least, was put in trades, because it was around the time when they really started putting most books in trade. But uh, Volume 3 doesn't appear to be, at uh, least from my recollection, I think they did, like, the first volume, first few issues were in a volume, but that was about it. Um, so they're so different like i've been rereading and enjoying volume three because I've, I've read it a few times now and i really like that book and has a certain sensibility to it but then you get to volume four and it, it just changes um the artwork just feels different um it probably is different i mean i'm a neophyte when it comes to art but i think the way in which it was colored was different it just had a, a very different visual tone um the storytelling in terms of um the perspective even the relationship between rick and uh, and, and merv uh, sorry, Genesis, I should say, uh, completely changed. Um, this six-issue arc is just 
mind-boggling and it, it, it tries to do so much and it succeeds it's all about kind of showing what happens if you have the ability to know what happens next to, to be able to be a precog of some uh, with cosmic awareness and you do what you have to do you have to make a choice you have to make a choice between two events happening they're happening simultaneously and you only stop one of them from happening so you do it and the entire time you're doing it all you can do is realize that you're watching the other, like this, this person die, and then you realize what you what you caused to not happen as a result of that, and it's just it it shatters the character known as Janice Bell. Um, we come into it, you know, kind of seeing that Rick Jones has been stranded for a while. Something happened to, yeah, to Janice Bell. We don't really know what, and then we kind of see this story of him, you know, just kind of doing your typical, um, you know, superhero thing, and then. You know, again, he because of the cosmic awareness, it drives him crazy. And what happens when you're on your own? And um, that first issue, again, is so stunning. And the art by Crisscross is just incredible. Um, the colors are are sumptuous and really add so much depth. Um, I, I don't know if, even who I don't even remember who inked this thing, but it just says pencils by Crisscross with Ivan Reyes and Paco Medina, colors by Chris Sotomayor. So I guess they just digitally pen, uh, did all the colors. Uh, it looks amazing. Um, the second issue is, again, you have more of Rick Jones trying to figure out where he is, trying to find a way home to some way that he can get a, you know, it used to be that Janice would talk to him, but now he can't get Janice's attention and doesn't really know what's going on back home. Uh, you have this fascinating, and some would say it's maybe out of character, but I always liked it, this team up between Janice Bell and the Punisher. And Janice Bell basically wanting discipline. So he goes to the Punisher to get discipline, um, to understand and to help him. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting to kind of see them team up and, you know, not become friends, but they're, you know, they're learning from each other. And there's this whole idea here that, you know, you, they go to visit this guy and Janice kind of shows the guy his future and what happens. And he go, the guy goes and he goes to go kill his eight-year-old son and Punisher's like, you can't do that. And he goes and shoots this guy before he can shoot his son. And then he... You know, kind of sees what's going to happen because of this. Again, the whole the whole series is so bleak but fascinating about this guy who's just lost his connection with his humanity, which Rick was always kind of his his connection to a humanity that we are familiar with, and now he's just kind of going by blunt logic because of his visions and you know being guided by cosmic awareness, but not really having compassion any longer. Um, which again is just fascinating, and the art is just so stunning because you you really feel that Rick is just lost. Um, you know, you have uh, Marvel. Sorry, I keep calling him Marvel. I don't know why. You have Janice joining the Kree military. Um, you know, and becoming Captain Marvel. Um, again, you see him doing all sorts of things that he's not supposed to be doing. He's sleeping with his you know his, his commander's wife. Um, he's got all these powers, and he just feels like he, he can do anything that he wants, and. You know, he's trying to better understand himself and, and his awareness. He kills himself at some point, but again, of course, that's not the end either. He's still alive, and he's confronted by his father. Um, again, just crazy, crazy shit, and it only gets bigger by the end. Like, it, it's all about the entire universe being destroyed. Um, I don't have very strong recollections of what happens after this particular volume. I remember at the time you couldn't you couldn't really get the other volumes, and again I own it all digitally now. But I find that whenever I reread it, uh, there's just something about that first arc which is so strong. There's a, a lot, obviously a lot more happens; they go in a lot more crazy directions. But there's just something so pure about that first six issues. It feels like such a important story that Peter David wants to tell, but not necessarily a, 
a super accessible one for a lot of people. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of dark and depressing, um, brilliantly illustrated, but again, kind of nuts. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to read sometimes, but in a, in a thrilling way, because, you know, the Captain Marvel is kind of the antagonist of his own story. Like he's supposed to be our super, our, the hero. And Rick Jones kind of becomes more the hero we empathize with here because Janice himself has gone so far off the deep end, but it's fascinating, um, to read. And, uh, I don't have a lot to talk about today. I just, I want, I think people should pick it up if they can find, Captain Marvel Volume 4, they should pick up the single issues. They pick up the trade. They should buy it digitally. There's a a buy one, get one free uh, sale, I think, for the next week or so, or maybe just for a few days. Maybe it's still the 21st on Comixology right now. So pick up a ton of Captain Marvel at a really good price. Uh, Volume 3 is phenomenal. But it's more classic superhero um, ideas and adventures. And Volume 4 is something decidedly different. Um, Again, like I think that the the heart of the story and the best part of the story um, is in you know this particular volume. Not to say that the rest of it isn't good too, but there's just something about this particular volume that I think is um, just so strong. And again, part of it's because you have the Chris Cross artwork, which I don't believe he does all the issues after this. Um, so there's just something about the artistic visions feels more, um, you know, I kind of think of the word, but it just feels more what what it was intended. That this is what they really wanted to do with it. Uh, it's phenomenal. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, it's exciting, and you know, it, it's it's such a weird. Again, I don't I don't know exactly when I first would have read it. Probably two thousand three or two thousand four. But you know, I at that time I was reading a lot of the, you know more typical fare. Like I was not very. Um, uh, adventurous with my comic book reading. Like I hadn't really read anything that was probably outside of the big two or really the big one. I was a Marvel fan. That's just the way I identified for a long time. Um, it wasn't till I guess 2003 that I started reading some DC or becoming more exposed to it. Um, but I hadn't read Watchmen until I was like 20 years old. It just didn't exist in my, I didn't really care about, you know, kind of the, the auteur stuff. Like I, I cared about big Marvel, you know, and, that has obviously changed over the years. I was a big fan of, you know, Uncanny X-Men, and X-Men were, were really big things for me. Um, you know, those are books, there was the first books that I was really regularly buying with my own money that I would seek it out. And then I would start buying other things as well, but those were the two that really started it for me. I always think it's funny that when I look back that I really have been chased off the X-Men multiple times to the point where, like, I don't really... It's not this... It's never going to be my X-Men, but that's okay. I don't need it to be. But there was a time when I loved X-Men and it was everything. And I remember just loving every issue, and, and then it changed. And a big part of it for me was the art. The art changed, and I never really uh, recovered from it. I mean, I came onto the X-Men, you know, I started buying regularly when you had Joe Matt on pencils. You had uh, Andy Kubert. Um, you had, you know, those guys were amazing. And maybe, you know, their storytelling wasn't always the greatest. But to a kid who's like 10, 11 years old, it was amazing. It was everything. And so that's... but. The one that's always kept me going, the one I've always wanted to read more and more of, and the, oh, the character I love is Spider-Man. He's, it's, but at the time, he wasn't. It's interesting that there was a time when my biggest characters were it was probably X-Men comics, Spider-Man, Daredevil, well, Iron Man. And then Iron Man, for me, kind of changed when Mike Grell took over. I never never really enjoyed his take. Or, and the art changed as well. And I, just, I had come in on Sean Chen and then you had Aletha Martinez and it was just this vibrant, exciting book. And then his artwork seemed like it became a little bit more angular and less like dynamic and exciting when I guess Mike Ryan was on it. And so I kind of fell out of Iron Man. And then when I kind of came back to Iron Man, like I didn't really... 
I'm trying to think. Extremis was exciting, but also kind of lifeless. Like, as much as people go, oh, Extremis is so cool. You read the art there, kind of boring. Like, it's very static. Like, Granoff is a great artist, but, like, maybe not a storyteller. And so that's one thing. And the storyline kind of feels like half-baked. Like, it has a great idea, but doesn't really have a lot of juice in it. Um, Which would lead into other things later. And then... You had Iron Man getting, you know, they had Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then they relaunched it, or maybe they not even relaunched it, but they had they started Invincible Iron Man, and which incidentally was like a month or two after the movie or right around the movie. And that's when everything about Iron Man changed because the Iron Man I originally read, and I'm not saying I need that Iron Man to exist anymore, but you read Iron Man now, and he sounds like Tony Stark. Oh, sorry, like, uh, like Tony Stark. I should hope so. He sounds like uh, Robert Downey Jr. Like they, everyone tries to pattern it after his take and that's fine but that's also not the version I necessarily fell in love with I mean and not to say Robert Downey Jr.'s version of Tony Stark isn't amazing but it's a very specific rhythm and it works for the movies but when you had like 35 years of comic book history and then it feels like that just kind of goes away that's harder it's harder to deal with um, so I so I kind of fell out of love with, with Iron Man it doesn't mean I haven't enjoyed some of the runs I really enjoyed the, the run by um uh, what did I just say? Refraction. I thought it was a great run, even though he was trying. He was adapting the voice of Iron Man. He hadn't totally changed it. He had slowly started to make him sound like more like Robert Downey Jr. His other art, uh, other writers more recently who really changed the tone to be a lot more kind of jokey, snarky, and on the page, snark doesn't always work. It comes off more as just kind of jokey and silly, and that hasn't worked for me. Whereas, you know, when I go back and I read the classic Iron Man stuff, that's not who that character was. But that's okay, and characters evolve, and, you know, especially with the Epic Collection, I will always be able to go back to my version of Iron Man. The, uh, the versions of Iron Man I really enjoyed, the, the Kurt Busiek, the Sean Chen version, or, you know, even going back further than that and reading some of the, you know, the older stuff by Michelini, etc., that's okay. Those still exist for me, and they will always exist for me, and they won't ever go away, and I can go back to those and enjoy them, and other people can enjoy more modern Iron Man. I feel the same way about Daredevil. Daredevil's an interesting one, because I think I've never really fallen out of love of Daredevil. Eh, Shadowland was pretty rough, and then you had the, what, the death of Daredevil, like, or Daredevil Reborn or whatever recently, and I read it, and it was like, eh, this isn't really that good. I feel like you could just avoid this and just go from one Daredevil run to another, and that's fine. I didn't need this weird, you know, kind of weekly miniseries to plug the gap. Uh, Spider-Man, I still love Spider-Man. I will always love Spider-Man. He has his ups and downs. Uh, sometimes I'm more excited by his stories. Um, I feel like I miss the days where his, when his supporting cast meant more, and you know, you had more evolution of the character. I was uh, on an episode of the Epic Marvel uh, podcast recently. Well, I should say I recorded an episode that hasn't gone up yet, and we were talking about, or specifically I was talking about, how you know Spider-Man used to grow used to grow up and then like there was a an issue in the early 90s where you have him you know talking to like dark hawk and he's feeling like the older mentor and he feels like a human being he feels like a you know he's talking with sincerity and he talks like an adult uh not like you know like a old fogey but talks like someone who's been there done that and he's trying to impart wisdom and i and i said to him uh curtis on the uh when we were recording that if you wrote that now and we've seen these types of team-ups more recently with him with Kamala Khan etc it's a lot more jokey you you don't really take him as seriously because they want Spider-Man to be so young whereas one of the great parts for me was seeing him age seeing him grow seeing him mature you know like even a character like Sam Malone on Cheers he evolved in some ways 
maybe devolved than others, became a little bit sillier as the year was went on. And at the beginning, he was a little bit more put together. But he also did have certain aspects of his of his personality that did evolve. Now, was it a lot? No. But it was enough that you could tell the difference. If you show me an episode of, besides the fact that it's a different um, uh, different female co-lead, if you showed me, you know, season one of Cheers, or had me listen to it and, and didn't even show it to me necessarily, and you had me listen to season 11, I could tell the difference in Sam. Characters evolve. Characters change. They can't just stay all exactly the same. Um, people may or may not necessarily like the Big Bang Theory, but characters evolved and changed there as well. It was still, you know, strictly a, you know, your classic sitcom. Characters change, but maybe not too much at the, at once, but incrementally over time, they do evolve. If a character like Sheldon Cooper can evolve, why can't we have Peter Parker evolve? Um, why can't we, you know, grow with these characters? Um, you know, you can slow the aging down, but don't make it feel like they're perpetually a child or try or tr- treat the character like a child. Anyways, I don't even know why I went into this, because I started talking about Captain Marvel. You should definitely read Peter David's Captain Marvel runs, both uh, volumes three and four. For me, volume four is just, is, it's different. It's not your classic superhero affair, which is why it stands out to me. Um, that being said, volume three is a ton of fun. You got some Drax stuff in there. You got some great, you know, time traveling adventures. Um, I'm trying to remember. There's all sorts of stuff. I think there's a Thanos story in there. I can't now. That one I could be wrong. I'm just blanking for some reason. Uh, I think I am wrong. I think I'm thinking of the Thor volume. Um, but there's so much fun stuff in in reading about Genesvel. There's a reason why I love Genesvel. Like I remember devouring all that stuff around that time when I finally got to read it, and then seeing him show up in New Thunderbolts was so exciting. It didn't spoiler alert it didn't go very well for the character unfortunately and we never have seen him since but um love Genesvel and a big part of that and a big reason why I fell in love with the character is you know Captain Marvel nothing to lose they had nothing to lose they were part of a weird promotional stunt and they buried the competition and not only did they do they bury them they did it by having a top flight creative team that had already been working together for years put together one of the best stories they ever put together, um, which is crazy. You know, they'd already, they've been putting together great stories for like two and a half years. And then they tore it all down and built something brand new. And even, you know, 16 years later, 17 years later, it's still exciting. It's still fresh. It still feels vibrant. Anyways, I highly recommend you download it or not download it. Well, yeah, buy it digitally or try and find a copy of it somewhere. Unfortunately, it is a little bit harder to find, so your best bet is probably to go digital or Marvel Unlimited, something like that, and give it a shot. its uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's a really great read. Anyways, thank you for listening to this episode. You can email me at commercialanagans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.